So, hope you are doing well today. I want to begin with a kind of a question, but I want to ask you to respond if you could. Um, Raise your hand if you have noticed that our world seems to have become slightly polarized. Yeah, a couple two-handers there. It seems that every single person has an opinion, and I have noticed that most people seem to think that everyone else would want to know their opinion about everything and feel free to share it often. And so I want to do a little exercise in confession this morning. I think we've done this one other time, but um, I think this is really good for your soul, and I want to um, help you out this morning. So I'm going to ask you to confess this um, and just repeat after me. I believe everything I believe is right. Doesn't that feel so good to say it? I believe everything I believe is right. And guess what? The minute you change your mind about something you believe, again, you think it is right. I've got it all figured out. In fact, I want to ask, this will help some marriages too. Turn to the person right next to you and just tell them, I believe everything I believe is right. Now, now here's the news flash. The person sitting next to you, especially if you live with them, already knows that about you. <laughs> and quite possibly the only person in the room that's surprised by making that statement this morning is you. We do. We believe everything we believe is right, and we hold these very stern opinions, very strong opinions about what is right and what is wrong and the way we should think and the way other people should think. And in this world that seems so polarized with people on both sides arguing and fighting, we have our opinions. And I want to prove a point real quickly. In just a minute, I'm going to show you a picture. And it is a picture that I can promise you will come with emotion. And I want you to do nothing in response to it. I just want you to look at it. No response, no rolling of the eyes, no cheering, none of that. So here it is. Ah, Nothing? Most of you know and have seen this picture and this advertisement. And my guess is, in a room like this, there are people who love it, and there are people who hate it. There are people who think it is ridiculous, and there are people who identify with it. It is amazing that a picture can produce so much emotion. Because the picture says so much more than what is actually written on the screen. It is a statement, politically, socially, about so much more than Nike 
And so you can go ahead and put the title slide back up there. But that picture represents, I think, the polarization that we see. And like I said, you believe, whatever you believe about that picture and about the statement that it makes, and you believe 100% that you are correct and that you stand in the right place on the right side. But one of the things that that picture does, it represents so much bigger that's happened in our world that I think social media and even the media in general has done, is it's helped us dehumanize one another. That our world that we have created is so much more about politics and position than the priority of people. We've created this world where we see sides and we see politics And it's difficult to see flesh and blood. It's difficult to remember what Paul says to the Ephesians, that our battle, that our fight is not against flesh and blood. But it's deeper than that. It's against the rulers, the principalities, the powers of this dark world that are at work. And I think in our desire to be right... Many times we've forgotten to simply be kind. Our need for being right typically comes out in a couple of ways. One is our pride. But two, and I think even more dangerously, is we've lost the ability to hear one another speak. Notice, I didn't say the ability to listen, but the ability to actually hear. The ability to relate to someone, to put ourselves in their shoes, to walk the road that they've walked, to understand where they have come from. We have divided. And the message of the gospel at the very core was something that was to bring unity, to bring hope, to bring healing to this world. One of my favorite authors is a man named Bob Goff, and in his book, Love Does, he asked this question. Is your goal to be right, or is it to be like Jesus? And I already know some of you are going to sit there and say, well, Jesus was right. But let me tell you, if your goal is to be right, most likely you will fail at the latter. But if your goal is to be like Jesus, the majority of the time you will succeed at both. Love is what wins the day. And it begins with the ability to sit down with another person and see flesh and blood to see someone that God loves and cares about and not see politics and positions. But it is hard to do. And in the desire to be right, we've lost our desire to be kind and humble towards one another. See, at the core, the gospel has one goal, From the very beginning, 
the restoration of a broken world, to bring unity, to break down the dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles, to create a new creation where the wolf and the lamb or the lion and the lamb will lie down together, a new world where swords are turned into plowshares, a new creation that is filled with hope and resurrection. And at the core, that is the message of the gospel. It's the beauty of creating a world that seemingly up until the point of Jesus' death and resurrection could not and did not exist. It is the hope that this world needs. It's the hope of a new creation, a garden city with a river that flows through the middle of the city with trees on both sides, and the trees are for the healing of the nations. It is the gospel story that brings hope, that brings life. And the gospel that Jesus is king and his kingdom has come near, first announced by him, was also announced to Paul. In this book that we've been looking at through this series in 1 Corinthians, a church that was divided and followed different people and put their hope in these people and had conflicts with one another. And it was to this church that Paul felt the need to remind them of the story of the gospel. To remind them what this was all about. Because it was this story that had the divine power to bring healing through self-sacrificing love. And so I want to go back to this passage from 1 Corinthians 15 that we've spent so much time in early in this series. And Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. And quite literally, if you remember, he says, I want to remind you of the gospel I gospeled. I want to remind you of the announcement I announced. I want to remind you of the proclamation that I proclaimed. Much like Caesar's defeat of Mark Antony, this announcement that there is a new king who has come to power. And because this king now has power over all, you must reorder and rearrange your entire life around this king and his kingdom. Surrendering to him and allowing him to be king, not just saving you from your sins, but surrendering your entire life to this king. This gospel that I gospeled. And so he says, by this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. I want to remind you of this proclamation that I proclaim to you, this gospel that I gospeled to you. That Christ died, that Christ was raised, or that Christ was buried, that Christ was raised, and that Christ appeared. That this is the gospel. 
but we ask this question, well, okay, if gospel really means good news, why is this story good news? And we've talked about through the series this four criteria, four news to actually be called news. First is that it's an announcement of an event that has happened. And secondly, there is a larger context in which this story makes sense. And then there is a sudden unveiling of this new future and a transformation of the present moment. That for something to be news, there is this story of what has happened. And so Christ says, here's, Paul says, here's what has happened. Christ has died. Christ has been buried. Christ has been raised. Christ has appeared. That this is the story. This is the news of what has happened. But secondly, there is this larger story in which this story that we're telling, the gospel story, makes sense. And it's hidden within these words of Paul. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He's telling this larger story, the story of Israel. The story that, that is told throughout the pages of the Bible. This context. And, and that story, that larger story, is God's good creation. Begins in a garden, God's garden temple, where he dwells with man. And he places Adam and Eve there to bear his image, to represent him to this world, to govern his garden temple. And the simple task of representing God and governing his good world is quickly rebelled against this design, this purpose for man. And they are sent outside of the garden. But we don't just simply jump to the story of Jesus from there. That God chooses this one man named Abraham. And through Abraham, this nation of people called Israel, and later his church to govern, to represent, to be his priests, to be his ambassadors in this world, to represent what God is like to this broken world. I wonder, at times, what people see when they see us. I wonder how well we represent what God is like to a broken world. A world that is fractured. A world that is so polarized. A world where we're so quickly to draw sides and to dig in our heels and fight to be right. And I wonder at times if we've lost the desire to just simply be kind to one another. And this king and kingdom that God establishes through his son 
His Son who came to rid the world of sin and systemic evil and the Satan. And he establishes him as king over creation. And very early on in this story, the king and the kingdom are intertwined. They're linked together. And the story begins talking about a king and a kingdom, but it also ends with a king and a kingdom. It's this beautiful garden city where the lamb is on the throne and the river of life is bringing healing to the nations. Take center stage. This city in Revelation that's roughly the exact same size as the Roman Empire. That's bringing hope and healing to the world. But how is this moment a decisive victory? In this moment of the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus literally takes the sin of the world upon his shoulders. There is definitely the bigger esoteric kind of picture of it, but there's also the quite literal side of it. Or you ask, what's, what is the worst that sin can do? What is the absolute worst thing sin could do to someone? It could oppress them and beat them and kill them. That, that, that is the worst thing it can do. Death. And Jesus takes all of that on himself. And on the cross doesn't respond in kind. He, he doesn't respond to the hate with hate. He doesn't respond to the evil with evil. He doesn't respond to the sin with sin. But he takes all of it upon himself and in that moment says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. They, they do not understand what they are doing. And I think it's so important that, that a little bit later in, chap, in verse 17 of chapter 15 that he does something really important theologically. Paul says, and if Christ, and this is a group of people, a church, who is struggling to believe in the resurrection. They're, they're starting to doubt. Does the resurrection actually, can it happen? And to those people, he says this, and if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. He does something so important. He ties together resurrection and the forgiveness of sins. Why? Why, why does he tie them together? Why is that so important? If you remember back to the beginning, the, the, what, what would result in the people's sin is death. You eat this fruit from this tree and you're going to die. As Paul would say in Romans, the result, the wage, the cost of sin is death. Like here, here it is. And so the only way resurrection can happen is for someone to be separated from their sins. It, it means one of two things has happened. Either you have not sinned or you have been released from your sins. You, you no longer Oh, the cost of it. And these two are so intertwined and tied together because resurrection cannot happen in a world where sin reigns. 
And what Jesus' decisive victory did is it was a victory over sin and death. And this now becomes the proclamation, the announcement that Jesus is king because he died, was buried, was resurrected, and he appeared. That Jesus is now king over the world. And so you and I must reorder and reorient our entire life around this new king. Your resurrection is only possible in a world where forgiveness is possible. Resurrection is only possible in a world where forgiveness is possible. So in verse 20, Paul says this, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For, through de- for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, and the end will come when, when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. See, because of this decisive victory, there is now this unveiling of a new world. A new world that prior to this moment could not exist. And one of the things, and we've said this before, one of the things that we've done is we've so individualized the gospel that the gospel is about you, and it's about your response. It's about your decision. That we've lost much of the beauty and the mystery and the majesty of the cross. Because we've made the cross simply about taking away our sins. Taking away what was rather than the possibility of creating a world that could not and did not exist up until that point. It was not just about taking away your sins. It was about the possibility of a world without sin. A world you and I have called to be builders of. A world where we can sit down with one another and have conversation. A world that we can seek to break the polarization of. To break down the dividing walls of hostility that are everywhere. I think that's one of the reasons Jesus comes along. He says, not blessed are the peacekeepers, but blessed are the peacemakers. And a peacemaker is the one who stands in between two sides and says there has to be another way who's willing to to take the shots from not just one side, but both sides. And say, there is a different way. There is a way of hope. There is a way of healing. And it's not because of me, and it's not because of my answers. It's because King Jesus reigns. 
And his new world has come. Now surrender and submit and reorient and rearrange your life around this king. Because what we know is every political power, every tribe, every nation will one day fall. The kingdom of God will last forever. So, what does it look like in a world that is so polarized to reorder and rearrange your world around King Jesus. I think first of all, it means the pattern of the gospel becomes the pattern of your life. That if Christ died and Christ was buried and Christ was raised and that Christ appeared, then when I place myself in him, and that's what this water represents to us, is we are baptized, that we put our life in his, and we die, and we are buried, and we are raised, and we appear. And we become these people, this community, this forgiven community of forgiven sinners, this people who goes out into this world and speaks forgiveness and hope and healing to a world that is broken and falling apart. And it's no wonder they don't see anything different when they look at the church. It's no wonder that Paul didn't see anything different when he looked at the Corinthians. What what do you mean you're following this one teacher Apollos or Paul, what do, you, what do you mean you're coming together for the Lord's Supper and getting drunk and forgetting about the rest of the body? What, what do you mean you're allowing these issues to start coming up between you? If, if Christ died, was buried, was raised, and appeared, then that's the same pattern that your life now follows. I think we could safely say for those who are in Christ, Gary has died. Gary has been buried. Gary has been raised. Gary has now appeared. But this is the new Gary. This is one whose life looks like that of Christ, whose appearance becomes like him. And so maybe... Maybe the beginning is just simply letting go of our need to be right. Because our perception of right is clouded at times with our prejudices, with our desires, our wants. And it's something that I have to surrender every single day of my life. That it's not about me and it's not about my world. It's simply about His. 
because I have surrendered all I have to him. And if the question is not, well, how do I become right? Maybe the better question is, who would Jesus stand with? If we want to be like Jesus, who would Jesus stand with? I think he would stand with the poor and the oppressed. He would stand with the outcast and the sinner. He would stand with the tax collector and the leper, with the fatherless, the widow, the orphan. He would seek to be a voice for those who have no voice. He would seek to be food for those who are hungry. He would seek to be a drink for those who are thirsty. He would seek to bring hope to those who are hopeless. I don't always know right. And I can tell you my mind changes on it from time to time. But I think deep down inside, I do know who Jesus would stand with. And many times, it's the people that I want to ignore. That Jesus would stand and bring hope and healing. I think the reason that we're so set on trying to be right is because we fear failure. But maybe failure should not be our greatest fear, but rather succeeding at the things that don't matter. So as a part of our REACH initiative, we've said we want to create some space in that to engage our neighbors, the people around us. Not just simply here, but in our neighborhoods next door. And simply ask the question, how would God allow us, if we give, how would God allow us to reach people for Jesus Christ with what we give? And we've said, as a part of this campaign, we want to try to raise $300,000 that we can pour into this community and this city to minister to our neighbors. And I think it's the one that people struggle with the most because it's not concrete. It's a little bit ambiguous. But I want to help put a little bit of form on that for just a moment. In Jeremiah, it is... The prophet is speaking to the people who live in exile. He says this, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, 
Because as it prospers, or if it prospers, you too will prosper. Recently, someone said to me, I think as leaders, y'all might be thinking about community service, but my mind goes to evangelism. I would tell you, as leaders, and I know I can speak confidently for our shepherds, what we think of is evangelism. What we're thinking of is reaching people who are hurting. Okay, so well, what does that look like? How do we do that? Let me just tell you a few things that you need to know about the place we live. That there are 25 million children in our world today that grow up in fatherless homes. That there are 456,000 East Texans who are considered at risk of hunger. That one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused by their 18th birthday. Texas ranks 41st out of 50 states in child well-being. Over 48,000 Texas children are in foster care. We have seen over the last several decades a sharp climb in mental health diagnosis, depression, and suicide. Depression is now the 10th leading cause of death in our country. A person dies by suicide every 12 minutes in our country. And this last year we took a survey. And we asked, what, what is it that you're good at? What, what do you have a heart for? And based on that survey in our Bible classes, we began to ask some other questions. What breaks your heart? What, what do you see in this world? Overwhelmingly, there was a response of, what breaks my heart is children who are hurting and people who do not have anyone else in their life. Overwhelmingly, our response was about people. And overwhelmingly, what we want that money to go to is helping hurting people and being light in a world that is broken and full of darkness. To bring healing to a world that is falling apart. That, that's what we want to do. We want to invest in life. If we have a problem with foster care, wouldn't it be amazing if the church of Jesus Christ stepped up and said, we're going to be foster parents. As a church, we're going to foster kids and for parents who are struggling with the money, we're going to help them make it through those difficult years of buying diapers and food. We're going to partner with one another. And we're going to raise those kids here in our church as a part of our family. What if the church began to see itself as something else than something that just meets together once a week? but truly believed that it was infused with the power of Jesus Christ, who God raised from the dead, that could change this world? What if we took literally the message of the hope we sing about and allowed the world just to get a glimpse? Could you imagine what it might look like if the disciples of Jesus Christ, transformed by His Word, truly began to take on the pattern of his gospel in their life. What it would do.
Father. Father, it's our earnest prayer that today in this place you make us more like Jesus than we were when we came in today. Father, that we start listening to one another. That we start putting ourselves in one another's shoes, walking alongside one another, seeking the the peace and the prosperity of the people who you have placed around us. As we live as exiles in this world because we belong to another kingdom, another world, a heavenly one. And we believe that kingdom has no end. That that kingdom will go on forever and ever. That the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Messiah. And they will reign forever and ever. Father, we want to believe that so deep within our bones that this world is transformed through our lives. Father, this is simply our prayer this morning. Make us more like Jesus. Transform us. Make us like him pattern our lives after him. Father, we submit to you, the king of the universe. We give you everything we have, all that we are, not just our sins. Father, we know that in you our sins are forgiven, but Father, that we are resurrected and we want to live a resurrected life. Because Father, we believe that your gospel is good news for the whole world. We want to be your ambassadors of it. And we pray this in the most powerful name of Jesus. Amen. That is the call. That is the invitation this morning. Submit your life to King Jesus and allow him not to just take away your sins, but to take away your whole life and give you a new one filled with his spirit, empowered to be Christ, hands and feet in this world. If you want to respond to that gospel, to be buried in the water and raised into new life, resurrected, then come, be baptized, give your life to King Jesus. If we could simply pray for you, whatever you're going through, we're going to have ministry staff, shepherds around the back of the altar, whatever we can do, allow us to help you in that. We pray. We pray today will be a blessing to you. So come while we stand and sing.